This is a sermon brought to you by Good News Bible Church, where we believe we should love God, love others, and make disciples. We are located in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood and invite you to join our family live every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. as we praise and worship with songs and learn about God through the study of the Bible. You can visit our website at goodnewschi.org. That's goodnews. CHI.org. Let's turn now to Today, hear what the Word of God has for us. On my way to church, I came here a little early, a couple hours early. I caught a lift. In my ride with the lift driver, we got in a conversation. And God used that as an opportunity for me to share the gospel with this individual, with this driver.
and that Christ's teachings of his kingdom are revealed to those who trust in him. That Christ's kingdom is revealed to those who only trust him. As I said today's prophecy that the parables of Jesus fall on their ears. So what is a parable? I heard it explained this way by a preacher um, in Texas. He said, a parable is defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So in other words, a parable is used to illustrate with something explainable to explain something that is from above, and it's clear in how James expounds this, 
And that this wisdom from above is not to be revealed by those who reject Christ. For nay, Christ's wisdom is not to be revealed by those who reject Christ. Before I begin to read today's text in Matthew, let's talk a little bit about the context. And prior to these verses, Jesus began explaining something in parables and talking about the soul. He talked about the kingdom of heaven and talking about a sower that sows seeds in different uh, types of terrain. And in every terrain that it landed, not every, the majority of the terrain that it landed, some was hardened and it didn't take root, and some got choked up, and then, or some was snatched up. By the birds in the air. And then there was uh, the terrain that was good soil and it took root and it grew. And then at the end of this parable, verse 9, Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. If you remember last week in Matthew 10, when he explained the forerunner and John the Baptist and how we as new covenant saints are greater, the least of us, than even John the Baptist because of what Christ has done, not because of what we have done. And then in that text, he said the same thing. He who has ears, let him hear. You see, the seeds being planted, and we as a soil, it's up to us how we decide to receive the words of God, the message of the gospel, the message of Christ. And see, in this text, Jesus illustrates this by using human senses, describing and illustrating this with human senses. So we will be in verse 10 through 13. Follow along. Verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to, to them it has not been given. For the, to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. We see here that Jesus is very exclusive on who knows the secrets of the kingdom. The word secrets in this text can also be translated as mystery. Some of your translations and probably read this way. But the thing is, the effects of his teaching can either soften our hearts by first and foremost accepting him or harden by those who are in resistance to him. And see, the disciples, as they ask this question, require and draw closer to Jesus. And it's revealed to this exclusive few because they're in close proximity to Jesus. At some point, as they continue to pursue that intimate relationship, they should get it. They should get it. Just like if we 
in our relationship with one another, with a spouse, a best friend, a family member, as we get closer and closer to that individual, hopefully at some point, we'll be able to get them. I'm illustrate this by talking a little bit about myself. Um, something you may know if you do know me well or somewhat well, is I kind of have a dry sense of humor. And uh, something recently transpired during Christmas is that some of you saw my mom visited us during Christmas along with my brother. And it's been quite a while. One of the things I wanted her to make was flowers. Because um, I love my mom for more than ever. So, you know, this year when um, my family was present, we made tamales. And on uh, social media, I saw a, a post, uh, actually, a paper Martinez as well, of a, a fridge full of tamales. And, and I love it, and I took that post, and I saved that picture, and I started sharing it with people, and I'm telling them, yeah, we made these tamales, and my mom, we made these tamales, and my mom, you know, and having them believe that uh, this is what transpired in my house, that we made a fridge full of tamales, and which wasn't really true, I was just kind of trying to play a joke. And, uh, but we did make uh, about two pots. And, um, and so, you know, I started sharing with people, and I get crazy with it, and I started sharing with a bunch of people, and at some point I started to lose track of who to explain that it's just a joke, that it's not true. <laughs> and then uh, my wife, who gets my humor because she's close and we're exclusive, checked me and she was like, You need to learn and be better at practicing the word very soon after you. And it's called just kidding. <laughs> and one example of that was Uncle Sid Mendes. I, I forgot to, to inform him. And he thought that I had a fridge full of tomatoes. Oh, you didn't cut, you didn't cut. And then, you know, I, my wife had to explain to him that I forgot to explain to him of my weird, dry sense of humor. <laughs> but my point in, in saying that is my wife gets it. When Christ, as we draw closer to Him in His teachings, depending on the level of intimacy, we may not get it initially, at some point, we should. We should. And, and it's been illustrated this way that the same sun that sharpens the wax hardens the clay, and so the very same gospel message that humbles the honest heart and leads to repentance may also harden. Dishonest listener, and confining and confirm that one is openly on the path of disobedience. And this is the people that are resistant to Christ, resistant to his teaching, or compromise or water it down, which is partly my suspicion of that driver this morning. Watering down the gospel, life is beautiful, it's not beautiful. It says it clearly in the Bible, we're all sinners, and because we're sinners, this world is dying. And there is death that is alive. And death takes us. And that's why we need to say That's why we need Jesus. Going back to the disciples that have the privilege of knowing the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, but not all do. The word secret can also be translated as secret, hidden, I'm sorry, mystery, and also that which is hidden. Which is a context that is usually revealed, once again, to a select group and hidden from those whose hearts is in opposition to him. 
In the sermons in uh, Matthew, in chapter 5, the Beatitude, Jesus, throughout all of his text, he addresses the character of individuals and that righteousness is acquired by not works of service, but by one's conduct shown in characteristics of righteousness. See, the Pharisees had a faith, outward righteousness, based on their works of the law. But the righteousness Jesus described is a genuine and essential righteousness that begins within the hearts. The Pharisees' concern were within the minute, minute details of conduct, but they neglected the major matters of the character, which is the heart. Which is the heart, because that is what God's concerned with us. It's the heart. And the conduct that flows from character is out of we see the aim of passion of, of God is to make us more like Him. So what is our aim? Is our aim to be like Christ? Is our heart divided? Do we seek to acquire stuff, cool friends, notoriety, or, or seeking God to just fix our relational and financial problems as a condition to commit to Him, to get it right? See, God's primary concern isn't with fixing our problems, but if anything, using those problems, allowing them in our lives to draw us closer to Him. To refine us, to discipline on us, to discipline us, and to ultimately depend on Him. But according to today's text, all of these things may take precedence in our hearts over Christ and are ungodly simply because we are saying in essence that Christ isn't enough. That we need all this stuff first before we can commit to Christ. We place condition upon condition. And if Christ isn't enough, nothing will ever be enough. It won't. God fixes your financial situation and then what? If God simply gives you what you want, when you want, then is this teaching us to be satisfied in Him? Would it be enough? Or would it enable our temporary fulfillment in the treasures of this life? Make an idol of anything that we want outside of Him. You see, because Jesus said in verse 11, and to them it has not been given. It has not been given. Why? Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Because they want all this stuff. Jesus didn't fit their model. He, you know, the, among the Pharisees, and not just the Pharisees, you know, those outside of the Pharisees, Gentiles and others, you know, the multitudes were there. They saw everything Jesus did. But that wasn't enough. They didn't want to understand. It wasn't enough. And just like for us, if God fixes our stuff, whatever it is we're trying to give to God to fix, it's not going to be enough. It's not. It won't. Because we're not meant to be satisfied As we, we talk about Ecclesiastes, our hearts are meant for eternity. God has placed eternity in our hearts. And the things of this life are not eternal. They're going to burn. They're going to perish. All that we need is God and His Word and those who have drawn. 
See, because where there was resistance to Christ, because they did not want to understand. Do we want to understand, church? Do we want to understand? Jesus goes on to explain this point by quoting the prophecy, which was read to you today, and I'm going to go on by uh, reading verse 14. Please follow along. 14 through uh, 15, I believe. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> verse 14. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. Verse 15, for this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have been closed. Least, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would I, the, the background of Isaiah 6 is referring to the unbelieving religious leader in, in that time when Jesus was speaking this. And this was very similar to back in the Old Testament in, in the background of Isaiah 6 that now in Isaiah 6. And this is the background. During that time, the king was King Uzziah, who was also known as Azariah. Um, he dies as one of the he dies as one of the northern one of the northern kings of Israel. Sorry about that. King Uzziah in the Old Testament is shown as a very intelligent, innovative, innovative, and under the state of Judah, very prosperous. He was used by God to defeat the Philistines and Arabs. He built fortified towers and strengthened armies of Judah. And he commissioned skilled men to create devices that could shoot arrows and large stones at enemies from city walls. He also built up the land, and the Bible says he loved the soil. The Ammonites paid tribute to him, and his fame spread all over the ancient world, as far as the border of Egypt. He made Israel great, and he was an ideal king at that time for the Jews. And see, the Jews, back then, um, in Isaiah 6, had much pride in their king and their people and their nation. But the problem is that their faith was more so in the earthly kingdom than over, over the kingdom of God. Their hearts were more so for their human king than over the one, over the one true God of Israel. Who is and was the common, who was the one that saved them and delivered them from their enemies. It wasn't King Uzziah or Azariah, it was God and his favor upon him and upon the nation that did the work. It wasn't their earthly king. And so when he died, they were shook. They were shook. And see, he says, with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed. Off to what? To God's work. And because their faith was placed in Uzziah who died, their hearts grew dull and hardened because the object of their faith was in the human king over the God of their salvation. The quote of a Spurgeon that talks about the state of those that are in resistance and opposition to those that are saved and those that are unsaved. And he says this, uh, Charles Spurgeon was uh, known as the Prince of Preachers. He said, 
just last week again in Matthew 10 of how Jesus said the least of these in the New Testament saints, us, is greater than John the Baptist because of what Christ has given us and Christ, what Christ has accomplished for not entirely us, but for Him. What Christ has, and we've been entrusted with so much, therefore, much is required of us. Much is required of us. Much is required of us. The forerunners and the prophets paved the way for us, and now we too have to continue and carry that out. And see, now Christ continues to expound further and says, and the idea behind this is that we get to experience the fulfillment of the law. Jesus in the gospel. Here we see again the similar idea of the prophets of the Old Testament. They long to experience what we experienced in the New Testament. Long to see Jesus, Jesus incarnate and also host as he carried out his ministry through the mission of the church. He longed to see that. That's what Jesus is saying here. And see, Peter remembers this, and later on in his epistle, he writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, talking about the Old Testament prophets, was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow it was revealed to them that they were serving, not themselves, but you, but us, the church, in the thing they now announce to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long for. So not only the Old Testament prophets, but even the angels long to have. See, in Jesus' presentation of, of the parables, for those that do get it and the ones that don't, this leaves out. This leaves out those who are genuinely perhaps and understand Jesus, those who are the believers, and those who are the makers or the unbelievers.
virtue comes from the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out. And you see, this is why Nicodemus did not come to Christ in this chapter at this time, when his encounter with Jesus, he still loved darkness over light, even though he was hearing all the right things. And with us as messengers, we say all the right things. That person still doesn't come. He's still not ready. He's still loves darkness. But the, the seed may have not taken root entirely. When we step away, we just be faithful messengers. The soil, which is Nicodemus' heart, was not soft enough to take the root. It wasn't until Christ's crucifixion and resurrection that Nicodemus later accepted Christ. And yet still, for those in Christ, we still have a tendency again to hold on to the door of happiness. And see, just as the text said in Isaiah 6, 10, where it tells us that if we do not hear and do not see, it makes the heart of, it makes the heart of this people dull, grow fattened. In what ways have we fattened ourselves? Like in James speaks of is bitter jealousy? Is that is that our spiritual diet? Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, vain conceits? Which results in disorder and division? What are we holding on to? Or is it the spiritual diet, the wisdom from above, which consists of purity, as James says, gentleness, peaceable, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruit, sincere? And the result of those things of the heart and characteristics we sow and make a harvest of peace among the lost and among us as a church. And it reads so in verse 15, so that we seek to understand with our hearts and turn and Christ will heal us. It speaks of healing us. And the idea of healing would mean to forgive, to restore, to make us new, to give us life, bring us peace and satisfy.
is so much more that we have in our relationship with you, in our salvation with Christ. And Lord, as we hear and see, help us to so too hear and see things that keep us, the things that we've held on to for years. And knowing that you are there, willing to heal us, to forgive us, to restore us, to make us new. We no longer have to be addicted to a bad, simple habit. We no longer have to be enslaved with the burdens of this life. We no longer have to partake in an unhealthy, broken relationship. Because you are more than enough. You are all that we need. We're ready to heal us, restore us in the personal This has been a presentation of Good News Bible Church, where we equip people to love God, love others, and make disciples. To help support our mission, please visit our online giving portal through our website at www.goodnewschai.org.